Segabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Hello and welcome to Sega Talk, episode 76. I'm Barry, with me is George. Let's tap, dude, I'm ready. That's my <laughs> specialty, it's tapping. All right, yeah, I mean, you gave it away. We are talking about Yuji Naka's <laughs> Let's Tap. And and why? Why are we covering this? Well, because the last episode was Panzer Dragoon Saga, and so I like to give people like, a little whiplash so that we cover like this massive, epic... $1,000 super rare Saturn game, and then next episode we talk about a $5 bargain bin Wii game. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, let's let's dive right into it. Uh, it was released in 2008 and 2009 to the Nintendo Wii. Let's Tap was a project by longtime Sega All-Star Yuji Naka, and fans probably know Yuji Naka best for games like Girls Garden, uh, Black Belt, uh, Master System ports of Spy vs. Spy and Space Harrier. Um, so, I mean, those are really the only games he's known for. Am I missing anything? Mm, no. Those are the games no, he's No, I don't think for. so. No, I don't think... No, no. <laughs> you guys ever heard of, of a thing called Sonic the Hedgehog? Yeah, it's it's like right behind me there. Um, no, uh, actually, yeah, Yuji Naka, he's pretty much synonymous with Sonic Team and the Sonic games. He worked on Sonic the Hedgehog 1, obviously, because he was a co-creator on it in 1991, all the way through to, and can you guess what his last, at least this is what I've seen, his last credited Sonic game is, without peeking at the notes? Sonic Unleashed. No? No. I'm, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, is it before or after? Before. Okay, Sonic Heroes. No, it's Sonic Riders. Wow. In 2006. Okay. He, to my knowledge, he does not have much, if anything, to do with Sonic 06. Mm. Um, he was, I, I guess, working on some other stuff at the time. His last really big game, I believe, with Sega was actually another franchise, which he has a long history with, Fantasy Star. So he started out as a programmer for the first Fantasy Star, and he acted as an executive producer for Fantasy Star Universe, which was really his last big game with Sega. So looking over that long list of credits at Sega, like what what would you say Yuji Naka's greatest achievement is? Like if there was one game that you would just say, like, that's the one. And I'm not saying like, oh, Sonic 1, because it's where Sonic started. But like, what, what is the greatest game that you think he worked on? I mean, I think it's undisputable with fans. Like, there's a reason he's, like, synonymous with Sonic the Hedgehog is because that mm -hmm. programming engine he created kind of made that whole game work. Like, right. we've seen really cool-looking mascots in the past. Like, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying that he's cool, but, like, Bubsy, or like, um, I forgot the other one, that bat one that they tried to aerial bat or something. Like, oh, yeah, arrow the, the wonder bat or something like that. Yeah, and they, they all tried to copy Sonic and they all just couldn't do it. Like, there's just something you know. about that engine and the physics and how they all came together and the speed. People still mock the game a little bit with the speed, saying that, like, Oh, sometimes things come too fast and you can't react, so you have to die and then come back and learn kind of the level. 
But it's like, right. yeah, you're going 100,000 miles. You're supposed to be, it's a speed game. So that kind of comes with the territory of that um, as a drawback. But nobody else could do it. Like, can you think of any other game that's even close, like, at the time? Not now. I mean, now we got Freedom Planet and Mania, but... I, I think the closest thing that I can think of are games by Treasure. Yeah. Um, their games were fast-paced. They did a lot of licensed games that were very cartoony and, and I, I'd say lots of fun. Though something like Tiny Toon Adventures, which I think was a Treasure game. I could be wrong. One of them was, yeah. Um yeah, it was it was good. It wasn't great though. You know, like if if this is bottom of the barrel, like Bubsy, and this is Sonic the Hedgehog, like mm. any of the other stuff was below Sonic for sure. I I really can't think of anything outside of maybe like Dynamite Heady, um, and Gunstar Heroes, and that's about it. Like maybe those ones are on level with Sonic, but there's not that much. And and even then, you're like, well, you're dealing with you know someone who's not trying to compete with Sonic. It's not like those are Sonic wannabes. Um, it's also pretty, like, unique what he came mm-hmm. up with with Sonic. Like, it's not like Mario. Like, that's a thing I hate when people go, like, Mario versus Sonic. It's like, dude, those these are two totally different games. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, I could go on and on about Mario and Sonic, which I think we will probably do the Olympics, like Mario and Sonic at the Ooh. Olympics. I'm actually surprised. The Olympics is happening right now, and we're talking about Let's, Let's Tap, when we really should be talking about Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games. But hey, if the Olympics are delayed a year, maybe in one year we'll cover that. Um so as far as Yuji Naka, let's bring up some photos of him because you know what he looks like. But this is this is Prope Naka. Oh yeah. So if you're seeing the images here of Yuji Naka in some beautiful orange socks, orange ties, um, I don't know the story behind this. I'm assuming he did like a press event and people interviewed him about his new studio and he dressed up as this, which is really funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, prior to these hilarious pictures being taken, uh, in 2006, Yuji Naka actually left Sega as a part of a support program for independent developers. Now the story varies. I've seen interviews with him where he was like, I told them I'm leaving and to support me. But I mean, from what I've seen, this is an actual program that existed. So if anything, he was like, I'm going to leave and you're going to support me. And they're like, yeah, didn't you get the memo from HR? That's what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he was also joined by 10 former members of Sonic Team at the time. And they formed Prope, which was an independent studio that started off with a capital of 10 million yen, 10 of, 10% of which came from Sega. And the stipulation was that Sega had first right of refusal on publishing any of Prope's games. And Probe was officially founded May 23rd, 2006, and operations began June 1st, 2006. So right there you can see Sonic 06 was, you know, uh, under development, if not getting primed for release. Sonic's anniversary was coming up. Yuji Naka was nowhere near um, Sega worrying about those sorts of things. He was starting up a company with some other former Sonic team members. So... Um, with that in mind, like, what, what do you think of Sega's independent developer support program? I mean, we don't know too much about it, but yeah, to I, me, it sounds a lot like what happened in the Dreamcast days, where they were kind of like, leave the main office, start a studio, but you're owned by us. In this case, it's more like, go away, you don't work for us anymore. <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah. think going with... I mean, now in hindsight, it was probably a, a bad idea going with Pro because they kind of like dwindled, I think, like... 
They released mm. it. Let's Tap, which I think had the most hype. Sega actually tried to advertise it in, in certain ways. And then they mm-hmm. had that Kiwi game. And then they well, kind of like... Away. Yeah, okay, sorry. <laughs> and, then, and then they kind no, of like okay. deflated it. So like to me... Right. At the time though, when I was covering this, this is like when I first started doing blogging and stuff. I was super mm-hmm. excited for this because in my opinion, I was like... Yuji Naka is the best thing Sonic Team has back then. That's how I mm-hmm. felt, you know? So I was like, him yeah. leaving is actually good for him because I I kind of felt like at this point, Sega treated Sonic Team like a factory where they were releasing like multiple Sonic games a year, all half-baked. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, so in my opinion, I thought it was a good move for him and I was thinking that this studio could be the next Sonic Team studio, but I guess, you know, history didn't pan out that way. Uh, what was your no. thoughts? I mean, I, I was I was reading Sega News a little bit at the time, um, and from what I was kind of feeling was that this was a good move for him. Sega did feel like they were making Sonic Team, like you said, into a like a, almost like a sweatshop mm-hmm. um, where they were just like pumping out games, and they were big games too, but not great games. So it's like Fantasy Star Universe. Sonic 2006, like these are massive teams, big budgets, in the end, kind of forgettable titles. I'd both, yeah. I'd actually point to both of those as being the weakest games of their respective franchise, really. So if you're Yuji Naka and this is what you're doing, you're not going to be given any small projects. You're really going to be basically given this high level role where you're not really doing day to day creative stuff. You're not doing any programming. You're basically getting a, a chunky paycheck. And, you know, telling the team, hey, that game sucked. Make the next one better. Which, I mean, no offense to Azuka, but I feel like that's what he does right now. Like, yeah. he just kind of, he, he's been in that role forever. It's And I think it's just because it's a, it's a nice, cushy job to be in. No oh, offense yeah. to the guy, but, like, I really don't think he's doing that much high-level creative stuff. And not only really that, don't. like... They haven't made a game in like five years, if you think about it, as them as a, a solo studio. Like, Forces right. has been five years. It's crazy to think that they, they've had a break for that long, considering that at, during this time, they were doing multiple Sonic games a year. Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and so in respect to Prope, their mission was very different from what Sega was doing at the time. Uh, really, they were going to create games with graphics that appealed to all ages, and... I, I don't know if this is a mistranslation, but I think what they were saying is that they wanted to explore 2D and 3D game development, but in new and unique ways. Because obviously every video game student studio is exploring 2D and 3D game development. But, I mean, as we've seen, none of Prope's games utilize traditional gameplay uh, controls. It's not like you're going to see a basic platformer or a sports game where you sit down and hold the controller and just do this. Just about every probe game does interesting, unique, some kind, sometimes kind of bland control schemes, mm. but it's always it's it's different and it's simplistic. Um, interestingly, though, there were early plans to have probe play a part in a sequel to Nights into Dreams. However, Nights Journey of Dreams ended up being developed by Sega Studio USA, um, and then Naka later claimed he had no intent to return to Sega franchises. I think he was probably jockeying to make a sequel to Knights that was going to be very simple and probably be like Air Knights, mm. um, which was the the canceled sequel, I think, for the Saturn, where 
Um, correct me if I'm wrong, the uh, Saturn 3D controller, which connect, disconnects, was going to have a different connector. You go on there and then you would like kind of Wiimote with the Saturn and fly nights through an accelerometer kind of uh, control scheme, which honestly sounds a lot like, I have it behind me here, Rodea the Sky Soldier. So, mm, yes. I, I really honestly think he was hoping Prope would kind of be doing what, um, like, Evening Star, uh, I think that's their name, um, the Taxman um, Sonic mm. Mania crew is doing now, where they're an external team, they're doing their own thing. But if Sega comes knocking, they're, they're going to say, yeah, we'll make a Sonic game. Um, that, that didn't work out, though. I mean, wh- would you have preferred Prope be, like, a third-party studio that does first-party Sega games, kind of like Streets of Rage 4 is now, but instead it's, like, former Sega staff. That'd you know, be kind of cool. I, I like that. There, there's a That's few me. teams right now that they're... I mean, I guess we could say uh, Grounding Inc. that did Crimson Dragon mm-hmm. did that uh, Space Channel 5 VR that's supposed to be a sequel mm-hmm. to 2. So there's other mm-hmm. ones doing it. I think that, like, Sega and their relationship is not as strong like sega's main account didn't really like advertise space channel 5 when it came out um no which sucked but and like uh but when at least with let's tap sega actually did do it Mm -hmm. did do some marketing for it and at, at least i mean they showed it at e3 and stuff so i don't know and also about his whole like knights thing I think he's yeah. always wanted to do a night sequel. I mean, come on, let's be honest. That Rodea game, right. and then we had that one mm-hmm. he did in Square Enix, which are all trying mm-hmm. to be like Knights. So it's like, yeah, Knights is deep in his heart, and he wish. And I, I would love to see him like head a new game, even if it sucks, just so he could do it and get it out of his system. Absolutely, and you you brought up grounding, groundling, whatever it was. Um, yeah, YS. I got all Dude. these names are awful. Uh, Yu Suzuki Studio. He calls him Yusnet or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's another kind of situation where it's a legacy Sega IP and the creator is working in their own studio, but Sega's allowing them. So it, it is happening quite a bit. Um, so going back to Naka's history with Prope and Sega, um, unfortunately, you know, like he didn't get to do his nights, but fortunately, Sega did pick up the first game that they were developing, which was Let's Tap. So Sega published that. So let's talk about... Wait, let's talk... Let's tap. There we go. I did it. Um, <laughs> so we have a, a photo here. There's there's some pretty cool high-res art on the Sega Retro Wiki that I have not seen anywhere else on the internet. So it really sucked today when the websites kept going Ugh. down. And I was like, let me just have that high-res art of that stupid family playing Let's Tap. Um <laughs> Yeah, the, so, site's, the site's been down a lot more than it usually is lately. I, a little inside baseball there, I've heard that if someone does, like, basic things to the wiki, like uploading, like, large PDFs or something like that, it, it'll make the site go down briefly. Oh, God. It's so weird. So it's like when people are doing shit on the back end, that's what's causing the site to go down. Like, sort it out. Anyway, um, <laughs> but being a Wii game... I think it goes without saying that Let's Tap has a gimmick, and that um, in the game is entirely played by tapping. So, how does that work? Well, it's pretty simple. Players must place the Wiimote face down on a flat surface and tap the surface so that the Wiimote's accelerometer picks up the vibrations. The taps, in turn, 
controls, the games. And it's worth noting, too, before we really dive into this, the game retailed for $29.99. Because sometimes I feel like we'll talk about a game and go, oh, man, this must have felt like a ripoff. And then, like, I look at the price, I'm like, oh, it was 20 bucks, <laughs> You know? Yeah. Um, so would you say that Let's Tap was innovative or downright stupid? And do you recall how fans reacted at the time to the game? You know, I I enjoyed the game. You know, it was kind of weird because um, I think it was like a mixed reaction, at least for what I saw. I haven't seen the Metacritic, but I remember I gave it like a, I don't know, like, a, I think it was like a C plus or something because I, I had fun with it. I played it in multiplayer. I, I like... I actually got people together, and I was like, all right, I'm at the review this game. They send me a review copy. This is one of the first reviews I was doing uh, solo, at least one that like mm. I was doing the main game, because before that, it was like, you get the PS2 version of this Sonic game nobody wants to review, and it's like, oh, all right, cool, and you know, not the PS3, so I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. I had fun, but in the end of the day, is it innovative? Yeah, because I think it's weird that he figured out, oh... It picks up vibration. Oh, I could make a whole game based on tapping. I don't know. It's just mm. weird. I just don't think of many uh, directors and gamers that are like, I want to make a game all based around tapping. You know what I mean? Like, for sure. If me and you were going to make a game, we'd have all these freaking crazy ideas. Like, we're going to make it a shooter, shoot 'em up mech game with anime girls or something, you know? <laughs> Not like <laughs> a tapping game, you know? It's so weird. Right. Yeah, and I mean, the game did not debut alongside the Wii's launch. The Wii was out for a few years at this point, mm-hmm. so I, I don't know if they were a little too late with the whole gimmick train, um, but I, I think there were always gimmicky games coming out to the Wii that utilized new control schemes, and when there one, were ones that worked, people talked about them word of mouth, um, and people would pick it up, a lot of casual gamers, so... I, I feel as though this was a game that probably picked up through word of mouth, sold reasonably well. I don't really know what the sales figures were on this. Um, I don't think they were great, but I don't think they were terrible. Um, as for the gimmick, I think it's I think it's fine. I think it's it's interesting. At the time, no one thought it was stupid. If anything, they were like, "Oh, so you're not even holding the controller. You're just you know padding a surface." With your hand. And I don't know. I mean, I, I much prefer that to like doing this with the Wiimote um, or Wii Bowling like that. Um, so I, I do think this was kind of at the point, though, where Wii gimmicks were getting old. And this was kind of like the last gasp mm-hmm. of Wii gimmicks before it was just like, you know, more of the same, more waggle. Like I just picked up um, an Indiana Jones game for the Wii. And you got to like do this constantly with the well, whip. And I'm like, I'm so it. sick of this. Or punch. Oh, it's in, I'm in fighting mode. Oh, and that looks great for the commercials. But then imagine that's every game. And that's Ever. for hours. And you're just like, yeah, I'm tired. I was playing Mario Galaxy. I got so tired of it. I'm like, it, it, And, and <laughs> they, know, force you, my they force you to them. use the Wii mode. I'm like, to get the stars and stuff. Mm. I wish they just had like an automatic thing so I could just platform and not do it sometimes. I right. mean, Mario Galaxy is a great game, but like, I just don't like that they had to like insert uh, motion controls for no reason. I just didn't feel like it needed it. But this game, right? And, this was an yeah. era where everyone was trying to chase the mainstream audience at the time. Whereas, like, mm-hmm. a fitness game uh, selling a hundred million copies, uh, 
you know, who thought that Wii Bowling was going to be one of the biggest selling games, you know? Like, whatever that, Wii Sports, you know? Right. So, and it's interesting we're talking about this now because, I mean, right now Sega's big push is Sonic Colors Ultimate, which was a Wii game. It didn't rely too much on motion controls, but they were there. And so it's interesting to read these previews from people who did not like the Wii control setup. And they're like, it's so great to just like play with a controller. And they cleaned up the controls and it just feels like a Sonic game again. And that's how I felt about colors. I was like, okay, I got to get this pro classic controller and plug it in. Okay, now I kind of feel like I'm playing a Sonic game. You know, it's like, um, there were those who embraced the Wii and there were those who were like, how can I get around this? You know, I mean, I hear people saying, um, there's that Capcom fighting game that, uh, you know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, the about? one with it's the not... Japanese comic one, the Versus one? Yeah, 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 and I hear so many great things about it, but I got to imagine it's one of those games that just is like basic controls. It is, yeah, I own people. it. I own it, yeah. 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 It's great. Um, I recommend it. Yeah, yeah, I need, I bet it's like $1,000 now, so... Uh, <laughs> um, uh, as far as the control scheme, though, you know, I, I think one of the downsides to it because you know i have my copy here um you can see on the cover art that people are tapping boxes but um you know the whole tapping surface thing you kind of had to look into it a little because i remember when i got it i put my wii mode on a table and it does not work Mm -mm. well and then i read oh you got to put it on a box pretty much and and yeah pretty much so a surprising amount of tension was actually given to the tapping service surface uh, Sega released videos showing players using the box of their Wii console. Like, you keep that for three years, and then you're like, oh, we got to bring it out from storage to play Let's Tap. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> in Japan and Europe, Sega actually released the game with fold-out cardboard boxes. So we actually have some uh, packaging here. We have the Italian box. So if you're looking at that, oh yeah, um, the Italian box is... Uh, oh, that's sick. There's no... P- no pizza in it, but it is interesting because when you look at the cover art there, they show the box that you get, but on the American cover art, if you can see in my video, it's they removed all the graphics. Yeah, because they never released it in America. We never got anything. Not even, I mean, maybe press got boxes, Mm-mm. maybe fan I sites did or something. I, I actually right, asked but, them about it and they said they didn't have any when I asked. I was like... You guys, you guys sent me this game to review, but no box. I was like, oh, great. I, I really just wanted the box, and I thought it looked sick. And I, let's be honest, it might be kind of a, a rare item randomly. Like, I could see it, like, in 20 years where people are, like, paying a lot for cardboard. It's... It could be, yeah. I've, I've never seen one in person. Neither. But um, the Japanese also had one. We have the Japanese box there. Um, that's actually the, the packaging itself. So you can see it comes with two flat boxes that you fold. And I mean, it's cool. It's a fun little thing, but to be quite honest, you don't need it. You can Mm -hmm. use a cereal box. That's my tip. Do you have any tips for the best surfaces to play on? What did you use? Uh, at the time I used a cereal box. Uh, I tried (laughs) to use a a game case, not, not bueno. Um, I think I also, uh, now... People could just use, like, Amazon shipping boxes that everyone has now. <laughs> yeah. But back yeah. then, I didn't really buy anything online when this game came out in 2008. So, I was definitely uh, uh, going everywhere looking for boxes for this game. But, yeah. <laughs> what do yeah, you Yeah, it's use? really... It's anything... It's anything that has a little bounce to it. Mm-hmm. Because then you can kind of go tip, 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 like, with your fingertips. And, like, a cereal box will kind of move a little more. You got to take the cereal out of it, though. 
or it's just like crunchy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, before we get into talking about the game itself, I did have a game I wanted to play with you. Um, so if you want to play this video here, we can kick off. It's kind of like a, a throwback. Uh, it's fact or fiction, dude. <laughs> Beyond belief. Yeah, do you see it? Yeah, I'm yeah, play yeah, it. yeah, yeah. All right, here we go. Let's do it. Welcome <laughs> to Factor Fiction Beyond Belief. All right, so let's. All right, you can pause that. Uh, <laughs> so uh, here's the rules. I'm going to read three possible stories from the manual for this game, and then oh, you're no. going to guess if it's fact or fiction. Mm. All right. So here's story number one. So. Just bring up the uh, the image for story number one. Oh, it's playing again. <laughs> yeah, I know. I put it so you can, so you can play. Go for it. Um, so story number one. Toro and Maguro are best friends. One day, Toro's father brought home a new game for their Wii, Let's Tap. Toro challenged her best friend, Maguro, to a game. And soon the two friends were enjoying the minigames, music, and colorful graphics. After playing, Toro looked away from the TV and realized that she and her friend were transported to the tap dimension, thus setting up a new franchise of tap games starring Toro and Maguro. And actually, you can see, um, I believe it's the the boy in Let's Catch. So they they did start to set that franchise up. So let's look at the image. Is this is this the answer? What is uh, what does our host say? Not it's the this image time. gallery. Yeah. Okay, See? sorry. No. Jonathan Frank's got you. All right, story number two. Is this the like uh, the, this. I... the story for the game? So story two image is, um, you can see the tap runners there. So Let's Tap as a simple story in which the spirits of tap partake in a series of mini games. The spirits are depicted as four colors, red, blue, yellow, and green. You can see them on the box art there. Um, each oh color God. represents different styles of tapping. So red is aggressive, blue is soft, yellow is short bursts, and green is rapid. Each color represents a player, and the colors take on various forms as you play. So let's see the answer. Do you think this is fact or fiction? Fact. I mean, they had different colors, right? Right. Well, let's see what Jonathan Franks says. Oh, God. What do he say? This one was invented by a writer. All <laughs> yeah. right, dude. I like that how fiction. it is true. They do have the color scheme. So you had me there a little bit, but no. And I'm pretty All sure right. that the, the colors don't really mean anything. Well, do let's... They? No, they mean nothing. Um, yeah. Story number three. All right. I think you can get this one. There is no story. It's a damn minigame collection based around tapping. Do you think that's true? <laughs> yeah. I almost yeah, thought that they true. actually had a story to it. Because, you know, I mean, even Samba de Amigo had a story. Well, yeah, if you remember, we I dug into the Japanese manual and the Wii manual, and that's where you got all the heavy lore of him being like a poor um, monkey-like janitor, and then he becomes the, the king of maracas. But yeah, here it's like Yuji Naka's got all these characters of families playing. He's got this little boy and girl who I just made the names up. Those are like names for sushi, I think. Um, Toro <laughs> and Muguro. <laughs> yeah, you got me. I yeah, actually thought but, that could have been it. So if if you want to have a personal canon, you can take one of those two stories there. I kind of like the one of the spirits of tap. Um, <laughs> I think that's a little 
little cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, to be quite honest, it's just a collection of five mini games. Their their names are Tap Runner, Rhythm Tap, Silent Blocks, Bubble Voyager, and Visualizer. And Sega and Prope were nice enough, actually. So the trailers in America were really just gameplay videos yep. of the five modes, which is smart. I mean, show it, you know, and then we can see it. So first up, we have Tap Runner. And these open with that classic whoosh, Tap Sega. Runner. Back old... People used to hate that one. But yeah. What? Yeah. I like how... Somebody has a blue box on, on the American mm-hmm. one because they didn't do the official one. Come on, guys. Right, exactly. But it, it they're actually pretty great little trailers because they're each a minute long. They show you how they're controlled. And, yeah, I mean, at least it appears fun. <laughs> um, yes. And so, yeah, as far as Tap Runner, I'd say this was the marquee title of the game. It was on the cover. They use these little runner guys kind of as the stars of the game. You would play up to four players competing in a side-scrolling race along an obstacle course where you must jump over chasms, climb up ramps, and edge along tight ropes in addition to competing mini-challenges such as inflating a balloon the fastest. The game is controlled with the speed of taps with rhythmic tapping, making the player jog, faster taps to run, and a hard tap to stop. Uh, or to jump, I'm sorry. So, you said people hated this one. Did you hate this one? Were you those people? No, I actually kind of like this one. I mean, it was kind of frustrating at times because you you could lose your rhythm and stuff, and it was kind of like, oh, you, somebody got lucky and they thought they were better when obviously they have no talent, and I'm the most right. talented person, right? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, regardless of it, I, I actually had fun. It was one of those like we bowling when your grandpa comes in and he just beats everyone because he figured out the angle to throw the thing at real quick. But uh, right, I didn't think it was bad, and it was the the one they marketed the most. I mean, my, my thing with it was, is that if you have four friends playing, if it is a little janky, it doesn't matter because you're all having fun. You're like, oh, hey, it, it screwed up. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, you're tapping my box. Hey, stop that. Um, but if you're playing alone, it's almost kind of like Sonic Shuffle. I've seen people who are like, so I just bought Sonic Shuffle and I sat down for a solo game against three CPU characters. Oh. The loading times are very long. The games take forever. And I'm like, dude, like in... in 2010 i had three friends over we drank a lot of beer and we played sonic shuffle and it was a blast because we would talk during the loading times the games were goofy but we all thought it was fun like i i guess even like you recommend beer well yeah i I just i just (laughs) say i just kind of think like even some of the something that someone would consider the worst is actually a lot of fun if you have friends like power stone is a great game solo so imagine that with with four friends um, or three friends. But uh, moving on, the next one we have is Rhythm Tap. And players I... tap to a moving timeline oh, of musical no. beats. Comic Mischief. Got what do you, you think dude. of Comic Mischief? Uh, you're talking about the rhythm the tap, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, this was all right. I mean, this is just like a like um, what do you call it a um, rhythm like a music game, but like not as in like depth. Maybe hero, they should yeah. pretty much. Yeah. So to me, it wasn't like, oh my god, this is innovative. I kind of already done this. This is probably the one I played the least because it wasn't that unique. 
But I could mm-hmm. see this being the best to play like single player because I mean the concept's so easy. You just wait for the things to come and tap it. Um, but yeah, I mean, if they had more music and more like depth into this, this could have been its own game, really. Like well, that was what, what the problem is... with the game is they didn't have enough like music and and like depth into any game. It was just like bare basic mini game. Like here's a cool idea we thought of. Right, yeah, it's almost kind of like that Taiko drumming game that, mm. uh, gosh, I forgot who made that, but it's like you tap on one side, you tap on the other. Tecmo, maybe? I'm not sure, I forgot who. Yeah, who yeah I mean, it is what it is. It's 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 fine. It's almost like if they didn't make this, you'd think it it was, like, stupid of them. <laughs> it's like if they make it, people go, oh, this is lazy. If they don't make it, they go, why didn't they make a rhythm game? Um, oh, yeah. The next one is called Silent Blocks, which... Looking at it, I don't remember playing this one too much, but I Jango, honestly think dude. this is, yeah, I think this is like the most interesting, actually, oh, yeah. of all oh, of them. For sure. And just when you look at it, there's like these cool. It's like, it's almost like 3D Tetris, but it's like 3D Jenga, where you knock these things mm-hmm. out. Um, I like the. It's almost like when you play um, sports games with the sh- the when they're like about to hit the baseball, and it's like, oh, it's going up. All right, hit it at the right spot. And then, I, I you know, think it's cool. You know what the crazy thing is? Timing. Yeah. Look how much views this video has. <laughs> it's crazy. Only 900. And it's like an official trailer for a game by uh, legendary Yuji Naka. It's like, what? Yeah. Well, it goes yeah. to show you. Um, but there was just, I, I feel like there was the, a lot going on with this one in terms of like, they had things like alchemy. <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not scary. But yeah, so I, I mean, I place that one a little more at the top, maybe just in terms of creativity. Next up, we have Bubble Voyager. Oh. Um, so Bubble Voyager has players controlling a character through a maze of floating mines, collecting stars along the way. The minigame also features a multiplayer battle mode for up to four players. Honestly, I think it reminds me of, what is that game, Tappy Bird? Remember that? The... Uh, the mm-hmm. iOS game <laughs> before Tappy Bird, before it exactly. came out. Though. This is kind of like a, Bird, that's a sh- it. yeah. It's like them trying to make a shoot 'em up game, which is really Japanese. So like, I feel like every single indie Japanese studio tries to make a game like like a side scrolling shooting game because how easy right. and cheap they are. And it, not only but, that, it just comes with Jap- Japan. You know, they like it. But yeah, for sure. And I think the character design is actually pretty pretty cool. I like his like little missile head. Um. Oh yeah. I, I kind of like the mechanics of him slowly floating down so you tap to get him back up. I mean, it works. I think the battle mode looks pretty fun. Um, you can tell I've never had four friend, three friends come over <laughs> to play this game. Um, but from what I see, I mean, it looks decent. Uh, and then the last one, I, I mean, is this even a game? It's called Visualizer. So it's a freeform mode where players use taps to create imagery, such as fireworks bursting over a futuristic landscape paint splattering on a canvas and ripples of water across a pond this i thought is almost that the, like, the pond one was like cool graphically but that's about it you know it's it's a tech demo to be quite honest like 100 yeah i i don't know why this was in the game as one of the five i feel like they could have thought of a better fifth mini game compilation I, to be honest, this is almost like something like the menu would be like, oh, cool, you can kind of control the menu. You know, if you wait, mm-hmm. you can make the, the water ripple. It's like 
it's like if Mario 64 said, oh, we have, there's a bonus mode where you get to pull on Mario's 3D face. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, cool. Yeah, but not, that's, a, that's a full game. <laughs> like, that's exactly. a mini game. It's like, what? Okay. <laughs> so you buy Mario Party and one of the five mini games is that you pull Mario's mustache from Mario 64. That's basically like what they <laughs> exactly. did. This. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, that, I mean, that's it for the gameplay. That's it. It's a very, very, very basic game. Um, let's. I, I didn't put it here, but let's rank these. So what would you say is the best? What would you say is the worst? So multiplayer-wise, I think Tap Runner was the funnest one because you get that anxiety and stuff where you're like, oh, I'm winning and winning and winning. And then you get kind of excited and you screw up your rhythm and stuff. And mm-hmm. that was kind of part of the gameplay, you know, trying to psych people out or get them excited or, or like put your hand in their face and be like, oh, you can't <laughs> see where you're going, you know. Um, right. So definitely that. Um, Silent Blocks was definitely second. And then definitely last is Bubble – I mean, not Bubble Voyager, but the visual laser, you know what I mean? So Right. <laughs> visualizer shouldn't even be a thing, to be honest. But go on. No, I, I definitely agree with you. I think Tap Runner was the best. I think, honestly, I thought Silent Blocks had a lot going for it just because it's like its own puzzle game more than just a mini game. Uh, third would probably be Bubble Voyager. I like the character design, actually. I think, if anything, they should have spun that off instead of Rodea. I would have loved to play a game like that's more of a 3D platformer with this like rocket-headed bubble guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Rhythm Tap. Uh, fourth, and then Visualizer, fifth. It's Visualizer's not terrible, but it's not anything. You know, it's like, oh, screen... Like, I don't hate screensavers, but if you said, hey, what's your favorite PC game? Screensaver? I'd go, oh, yeah, I love screensaver. One of my faves. Which reminds me, when I was a kid, I had a friend. I went to his house only once. He had a cool PC, no games. They were all demos. He's like, you want to play a game? I'm like, yeah, sure. I got a demo. demo. (laughs) And so we would play for five minutes and then the game would stop because it's like, please buy the full version. He's like, what do you want to play now? I'm like, a real game? <laughs> so I can only imagine going to a friend's house. Do you want to play screensaver? You put He's arrow in, in corner of screen and then you see my dad's fishing trip pictures. It's cool. Um, I'd be down, dude. <laughs> I would too. Uh, Let's Tap had an incredibly catchy soundtrack. Um, and there was even an album released by the label Super Sweep. Sound composer mm. credits include Naofumi Hataya of Sega, Yam of Prope, Shoes of Missile Chewbacca. I'm assuming these are companies. <laughs> Missile Chewbacca. Um, Ayako Sasso of Super Sweep, Shinji Hoso of Super Sweep, Masaharu of Bass Escape. Mitsuhuro, oh man, I'm sorry, of Base Escape, and then Noriyuki Kamikura of Base Escape, and then Azusa Chiba of Base Escape. So they had, I mean, a fair amount of people working on the soundtrack. Now, Fumi Hataya is by far the most notable sound team member with a long list of credits that include writing many remixes of Sonic music, um, working on Sega Rally and Nights, for which he composed the memorable Message from Nightopia, which I think is the... Um, that's the big da-na-na. That's the big one, right? That's that's yeah. the one everyone knows. Um I always liked the one where it was I years later learned it was home alone sound bites where mom, mom <laughs> like, 
Why didn't they get sued by 20th Century Fox? I don't know. Um, he also did music for Sonic R, Burning Rangers, Samba de Amigo, Space Channel 5, The Rub Rabbits. Do, 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 do. Oh, and yeah. he worked on tons of Sega albums. Though I feel like he only had like one credit. But they were like, we got this big guy. Let's let's move him to the top. Another credited artist named Yam produced a lot of music for the game. Their real name is Hiroyuki Yamamoto. And based on their credits, music is not their main focus. As other credits include art and design for Pokemon iPhone games, manual creation for game manuals. Like, that's one of their main jobs. <laughs> so this dude... Um, worked on Gravity Rush and The Last of Us doing, I presume, Japanese translations for the manuals and stage modeling for Kid Icarus Uprising. So a very eclectic career. And I did want to touch on, I don't know if it was last episode or a few ago, I was saying, like, how do people make money in game development? Because I would see a list of credits and I, I know these people live in a house and eat food, but there's only four games. And I think this right here is kind of a little peek into the world of game development where they are doing work but it's not always going to be like the big uh uh you know um credits that one would expect or want and i mean you know i'm not hating here i make some pretty obscure stuff that's out there design wise but i'm making money so yeah you know here we've got someone who did a majority of the music for let's tap but their main job is creating game manuals very strange very Um, strange yeah so we've i I picked out a few soundtracks the uh the first one is from naofumi hataya it is entitled tap no 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 i'm sorry this is not his this is actually the main theme yeah it's the main theme it's the most popular song i think you know the soundtrack kind of reminds me i don't know about you but like Jet say radio, techni, like it's so weird. They use a bunch of voice samples too. It's like very strange, but yeah. Yeah, I, I think it uses the Let's Mom Sleep sample where it's like, ah, da, 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 you know, the scream. Um, I wonder what Hideki thinks about that. I'm sure he doesn't care. I'm sure he's shit posting on Twitter right now. <laughs> um, I gotta say something about Hideki. I love him, but he's like, the man, dude. I, that's it. He loves titties. He's the man. No. <laughs> I saw so uh, Streets of Rage composer. I'm blanking on his name. Um, the the, uh, y- the guy for the first one. Okay, sorry, Yuzo yeah, Kishiro. Yeah. He was making some very cool Twitter posts about like the history of music, showing his studio photos, awesome stuff. In that same timeline, I see a tweet from um, Hideki Naganuma where he's like, "I'm the Uncle Funky. I'm the funky uncle who shit posts." who used to make music for Jet Set Radio. And I'm like, I don't know, dude. Like, it's getting old. Like, throw us a bone here. Talk about music development. Make some new music. It's getting sad. I also, we, remember when we tried <laughs> to get him to do an interview and he was like, no, my English is bad. Now he's like talking about titties all day. What's up, Yeah, dude? I said, I said, okay, if you can't do an interview, tell us your favorite, like, uh, track that you didn't work on. And that's all he would give us. <laughs> yeah, he's not um, very social. I don't hate the guy at all. I'm just saying, like, I, I worry for him. Um, the next music we track We didn't even play here... this music. Oh, okay. Well, let's hear it. Sorry. This is kind of weird. It's like kids going on vacation music. 
If that's what you know. listen to when you go on vacation. Kid Bop. It's cool, though. It's catchy. I like the robot it is catchy. voice. Of, let's tap. Let's tap. Get your tapping thing. Um, yeah, it's cool. Um, it, the next track I wanted to play was called 365 Children. That's too many. Or three, six, I guess like 365, like every day. Every day we children. Um, I, and whatever is, that means, dude. Yeah, and this is from Naofumi Hataya who, as I said, had credit on Nights. So let's let's take a quick listen to this. One, two. Counting the kids, you know. I guess so. Never <laughs> getting up past four, though. I think three is the magic number for kids, you know. It's the three amigos. You know, everything comes in threes, right? Sonic, yeah. Tails, and Knuckles. So I, I gotta say... It's not that great, but he's a big-name person from Sega, so they, they threw him as track number one, and they put his name at the top of the list. Um, of course. Uh, Smart. Let's check Let's check out a track from Yam. Oh, Will Star Se- Seeker. It's a lot different, slower. I'll skip it down to 25 seconds. It's, like, very, like, smooth, chill. Yeah. It's like elevator music. It's got like Sega CD vibes to it, but I, I have to imagine this was probably in like the Visualizer or the Bubble Voyager. Um, I like the Yam tracks actually. I am what I am. I like Yam. Um, so that's just a little sampling of the soundtrack. It's worth giving a listen to on YouTube. There's some memorable tracks. There's some not so memorable tracks, but all in all, it's it's cool. It's nice Se- that Sega had some uh, staff members contribute to it. Sega actually sent me the the soundtrack. I mean, it was part of the promotion with the figure. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. seen the figure. The one that Yuji Naka's holding up. I wish I kept the figure because I didn't, but uh, <clears throat> it's pretty sick. I did send that one out. <clears throat> so yeah. let's yeah, let's talk about that. So the game did have some advertising. You had a little story here. So uh, yeah. you know, tell the viewers or listeners what it was like promoting this game with Sega's assistance. So at this time, Sega had five pieces of artwork for Yuji Naka, from Yuji Naka made by the man himself, I guess. I, I didn't think he was an artist, but uh, if you're looking on the video portion, you could see them. If you don't, uh, Google Let's Tap Wallpaper. I don't know why, but it shows up one of the artworks on there, and then you could look at Sega's Flickr account. Um, basically, it was just a bunch of Let's Tap artwork, and um, I got one of these artworks to give away. I can't show you my address on the packaging. <laughs> and I got, let me, sh- well, first I got to, basically I was giving this away, right? And the person that I, uh, oh shoot, I can't, man, my camera's going all crazy. It doesn't see it. Which one? I because guess I, they're all here. So which one was the one you got? Uh, the first one. The one with the tap the, runner and he's holding his hands up with the circle. Let me see. Oh, so that is the one and the one in the picture is the one you have now. Okay. Yeah. The one that comes up so, in the thing, yeah. So tell us, why do you have it? <laughs> okay, so I picked someone to... So Sega sent it to me, and they're like, pick someone on, on a Twitter giveaway. And I was like, yeah, easy. Did the Twitter giveaway. At this time, it wasn't my site. It was somebody else's site. So the fact that like they trusted me with all this responsibility at the time, especially since it was one of the first games I, I, I helped Sega promote, 
mm-hmm. I was all in. I, I shipped a bunch of items out. I think I did like they gave me four soundtracks, four figures, and then this. But the person that won this never messaged me. And then I, and I waited for like two weeks. I kept on messaging them, nothing. And I'm like, oh, it's one of those accounts that like makes fake accounts so they could get stuff for free. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm. so I was going to give it to the runner up. But I totally forgot and was super cheap. And I was I was pretty broke after shipping so much stuff out that I was yeah. like, you know what? Fuck them. <laughs> I just kept it. I was just like, forget it, dude. That, 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 that let's be honest, that item's pretty sick. Like, so I mean, I mean, let's it's probably let's one be of my real favorite here. items so, I ever got. Yeah, absolutely. And let's be real here too. Like, we are in our mid thirties. Mm-hmm. So when you're jumping back here, we're talking about. Uh, geez, this is over 10 years ago, like 12, 13 years oh, ago. Yeah, 2008. We're like, yeah, like... Nine. We, we are not well off. So when Sega's like... I mean, this happened... What happened to me was Sega said, hey, we've got a bunch of Yakuza 5 t-shirts. Cool. All right, we're giving them away. Okay, well, Barry, we're going to ship you 15 t-shirts. You pick 15 winners, and then you ship them 15 t-shirts that we just shipped you. I gave away yeah. 10 t-shirts. I went to the post office. I spent close to $100. I probably had to put it on a credit card. It probably took me two months to pay it off. You know, like I was not making that much money and I did not have the the, the means to, to give this shit away. And then And then it was like a curse because then the same guy was like, hey, you did a great job. I've got another 20 shirts, and I was like, no! <laughs> Get away from me! That was back then when they were really into the whole physical thing. Now, like, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's more digital marketing. No and I more. love that. I love that. I mean, it's, it's it has nothing to do with, like, keeping the thing. It's more like just the hassle of... And I, I have all the respect in the world for community managers who deal with this shit, because to do it as a full-time job, it's so frustrating. She's like, hey, you won. Do you want it? You won. No one wanted my Tembo the Badass Elephant PS3 skins. No one. Um, <laughs> I don't blame them. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that, that's our little admission there. But um, as far as advertising, Let's Tap, it it came out around the rise of YouTube. And Sega did this a lot at the time. They would do little to no commercials. They would really just put videos up to YouTube and aggressively do it. I mean, Sonic Colors was probably... 90% YouTube videos. I remember every single theme park had a video. It would debut. It was a big deal. But you wouldn't turn on the TV and see these. You would mm-hmm. see maybe one Sonic Colors commercial. Here, in America, we had no Let's Tap commercials. In Japan, however, the game did receive a 30-second and a 15-second commercial. The 30-second one is only on Daily Motion. Oh, yeah. Maybe we should fix one that of... and download it ourselves and host it. You know, here it goes. Mm-hmm. Oof. Okay. I like it. Yeah. <gasps> the music. Yeah. Let's that, tap. That's not a terrible commercial. No, and it's interesting. You notice they do not put the visualizer with the with the games. They only show show the four main games. How much um, you want to bet that it was like? oh, we need one more game, four is too little, and then they're like, add that visualizer we used as a demo to show them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, let's get out of daily motion. It's a little skeevy. Um, yeah, weird stuff. So <laughs> the the name 
Let's Tap brings to mind another piece of tech that relied heavily on tapping in 2008-2009, the iPhone. So in 2009, Prope brought the five mini-games to iOS as five separate downloads with Rhythm Tap releasing in a free version. So I don't know if you remember, but at the time, it wasn't like you download an app and then there would be in-app purchases to unlock it. It would really be like they would release the free version and they'd release the paid version and you'd have like to delete the old app and then download the new one unless you want to have two apps that's, that's like so, a, one's a demo disc basically that's, that's so not i mean yeah I, I never had ios um yeah. so i never got to play these games i do know they released a few of them on there um mm-hmm. i i mean it was so weird it was like they went from making a console game to like Trying to like keep this thing alive without Sega's like involvement at all, like Sega banned right. them. It felt like, and it it happened in the same year because the Japanese version came out late two thousand eight, and in December two thousand nine, the game was rolling out um, to the West, and then late two thousand nine, all five games were ported. Well, not even ported. They're like they're like two D remakes using kind of three D assets, but two D sprites. Mm. Um, they retailed for 99 cents each, so you could get, quote-unquote, the full Let's Tap game for, like, five bucks. But they were stripped down. They had uh, they were single-player experiences with no global leaderboards. Reviews were mixed. People didn't really like it all that much. I was frantically looking for my iPod Touch. It's somewhere in my house, but oh God. it does have Tap Runner uh, saved to it. And it also actually has a very rare... Um, Columns Puyo Puyo combo game that I've heard people say they can't find online. And I'm like, oh, I have it. And they're like, oh my God, uh, boot it up. And I'm like, oh, it crashes. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's kind of like the, um, you know, the equivalent of people selling old PS3s because it has that, um, that, that uh, Silent Hill. Yeah, that Silent Hill uh demo on it but um in my case it's uh tap runner and a few other sega <laughs> games but i mean it it wasn't bad there were two ways to play from what i remember you could either put it on a surface and do the let's tap sort of thing or you could tap the screen um it was fine but it was kind of lame to play against computer players there was no online gameplay Oof. um i do you think this kind of hurt the brand to come out so quickly like do you think it killed the shelf life of Let's Tap when people go, oh, it's just an iPhone compilation. You know what I think kind of killed Let's Tap? I think it's just like it being so bland when it came to like char- like uh, branding. Like mm-hmm. Let's Tap, pretty generic name. Um, and then they, what, they did like Less Fish or something like that or some other stuff. And Let's they, Catch. Less Baseball. Let's Catch. <laughs> they okay. just did one. <laughs> okay, like Let's sorry. Baseball. Um, Do you want so a baseball? Yeah, they, they, they did that kind of stuff and to me it was like you guys don't like have a like a consistent look like when you play Choo Choo Rocket they had a consistent art style when you right. played uh, Samba de Amigo there was really no other game that had a monkey mascot that looked exactly like Amigo so I think that's right. what this was missing a branding like maybe four or five characters that were looking like Amigo or based on animals considering he came from Sonic Team but he kind of went with this whole, like, you're just an avatar, which is kind of, pop, I guess, popular at this time with the uh, Wii. But yeah. 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 What do you think killed it? Do you think that the iOS games hurt it more? 
I don't I don't know if they really heard it, but it definitely to me I was like I, I don't believe I owned Let's Tap at the time, so I was like, oh, cool. Mm. I don't need to get that $30 game. I could just get the mini games that look interesting on my iPhone. And, I mean, obviously, Let's Tap was not a system seller, so I wasn't running out to get a Wii. It really was Sonic Colors that got me to go and pick up a used Wii. Um, mm. But, yeah, I, I, I do think kind of instead of continuing on the brand and really like pushing physical releases let's tap to maybe go bigger say there's 10 mini games this time it was really kind of like a downward slope where they were like oh the sequels let's catch it's a WiiWare game and then let's tap is an iphone uh you know uh, five iphone games and so it was like there definitely was a prop let's franchise there but it it just kind of dwindled it just fizzled out um and it's it's kind of the story of Prope too. I mean, at the time of development, Let's Tap had around forty staff members working on it. Yuji Naka was making uh, the rounds with the press in his orange socks and tie. Um, he said in interviews that the idea for Let's Tap actually came from working on another game for which he was testing the vibration sensitivity of the Wii Mote by tapping the table, and he described the response as phenomenal. And um, he uh, prompt it prompted him actually to take a digital game and make it analog by allowing for a greater spectrum of strength for tapping. Which I mean, he he was just going crazy about this. I read at least five or six interviews with him. He told the same story every time. He was like, "I tapped the table and it was phenomenal. I loved it." Um, interestingly, too, at this point in two thousand eight, Naka was working on a Sonic-like game, which would end up being Prope's last big game, Rodea the Sky Soldier. And he would drop hints about this in all of his Let's Tap interviews. And people, they wanted to talk about that. They're like, you're making a, like a Sonic-inspired game. Talk about that. And he's like, oh, yeah, you'll learn more about it in a little bit. So I was tapping tables, and the response was phenomenal, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, there was a... Gama, Gama Sutra. Remember that website? It's still around, I guess. Yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, he actually elaborated a bit more on the controls, noting that it wasn't ones and zeros of ons and offs. So, you know, like push the button, let go of the button. It was more of a spectrum of those two extremes. So you could do the gradual taps. You could do the big taps. So I, I get where he's going with this. Like it, It's almost kind of like when you talk to um, Mitsugushi about... Um, uh, I think that's the right developer's name about like uh, Child of Eden or mm. Res. Like, there's a lot more going on there. I feel like Yuji Naka and him would get along great. They probably have working together. Um, but it's just kind of this Yuji uh, Yu Suzuki kind of level of thinking where it's it's thinking outside the box. It's being kind of turned on to some weird and wacky sort of ways of controlling games. And, I mean, Let's Tap is simple, but I also think it's kind of cool that he latched onto this kind of wacky control scheme and really went all out. Um, oh, yeah. He also had some really interesting discussion uh, with various sites about his leaving Sega. So when this was brought up with Game of Sutra, 
This is what he had to say. So they asked him, what made you decide to quit Sega or at least no longer work under the name of Sega? And so this is from Yuji Naka's perspective. He said, well, I could have stayed under Sega itself, but I already had a very high position there. The game industry has a very short history behind it. And as a result, the more games you make, the further you work your way up the company ladder until you become one of the heads of the whole outfit. Once this happens, you start running out of time to actually make games. It's it's better to keep yourself directly involved with the actual game process, you know? Directors are pretty high up on the job ladder in the movie industry, but they're still involved with every aspect of the film they're working on. They're still making movies their entire careers. The game industry isn't quite like that, and I think that's a lost opportunity for a lot of people. Before I left Sega, I was high enough up that I was looking at every game the company was developing. Once I was in that position, though, I found that I wanted to get into the nitty-gritty details instead with the games, including Sonic. The whole, it'd be better if this bit was this instead of that type of thing. There was a lot I wanted to do, but I couldn't gauge until someone was actually actually tried making it. So I think what he's saying here is he would direct people to do things, and then he'd kind of just sit back and wait for them to do it. And he kind of liked being there, testing it out himself. So at the age of 40, which is insane to me he's 40 which is i mean i don't want to give my age away but geez that's like four years from now for me um yeah. i convinced in his words he convinced sega to let me build a company since it's sega that's behind the company they're the ones publishing the games though from what i've read it was an initiative with the company so who knows um really if you're a game creator no matter how high a position you have in the industry you need to keep creating. It's better for the industry, and it's more fun for everyone involved. Um, Gamma Sutra also had an interesting tidbit about some industry gossip, which states that um, when Yuji Naka left to build Probe, he offered any Sonic team member the opportunity to go with him, and almost no one did. This was oh. used to prove his lack of relevance in the current industry. Um, though, like I said, 10 people did go with him. So that's not no one. I mean, that's yeah. not like um, on the office when Michael Scott went to make a paper company and like Pam left with him and that was it, you know, like <laughs> it's a whole um, like, come on, who's leaving with me? Who's the, with me? And half baked when uh, the guy Jerry leaves McGuire. the record store. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, <laughs> I can already imagine him looking exactly like that going, who's coming with me all drunk? Fuss is so coming. Do you believe do you believe that co that gossip? Do you think he lacked relevance when he was creating Probe? Or do you think it was more like, you know what? You do your own thing. You're the great. You We're know, not. You know, when, like, I was, when I used to hear that, like, people didn't like Naka or whatever because he was too, like, hands-on. Like he said, he like telling people, you know what? Your idea is not good. Do this idea. So I could mm -hmm. see maybe some tension like that. But it's kind of hard to leave a company like Sega to chase someone that you work with's dream. It's like... You're at work right now, right? And all of a sudden your boss mm. comes in. He's like, hey, by the way, I'm quitting and making my own graphic design company. Let's go. And you're like, no, I am I have kids. Uh, I have a <laughs> exactly. life here. Uh, I know all everyone I work with. Why would I leave this? To like help you create a new team. Like, right. it's, it's hard. I don't think it's about rele relevancy as much as like leaving a, a high paying job. Job security. Yeah, job yeah. security. Sega has been around for 60 years. Uh, Probe didn't last 10 years. So, like, they did the right choice. I don't think it has to do about him. Like, I think even Eugene, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, Yu Suzuki leaving or, like, uh, anybody that left, not everyone followed them, you know? They have to build 
they have to show that they're worthy of being followed, right? So exactly. If, if like he made Let's Tap and then it sold five million copies and it was the next big Wii hit, I'm sure mm-hmm. more people would have started leaving the company and uh, following him. But yeah, that's my take Absolutely. on it. What is your take? Um, I mean, my take is kind of similar to yours. I think people just wanted job security. I think this was Naka's dream, and it was not a dream shared by his uh, co-workers. I also suspect the, that he was probably a difficult guy to work with. I know people who I've worked with who, if you were told tell me they are moving to start their own business, do you want to go with them? I on one hand would say, well, I respect them. I think they will probably do a good job. But on the other hand, I don't want them to be my boss. Mm. Like <laughs> they're, they've got their own quirks. There's probably a reason they're leaving, you know, like not because they're being fired, but just because they don't want to work here anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there, there was also an interesting little tidbit. Um, he was asked uh, what his favorite game was. And Naka said it was Lemmings. Wow. He said, Cons- consider the architecture and the system of the game really quite superior and the fact that each one of the lemmings has got his own designated roles in different movements, yet their characteristics are based on real lemmings. So from a character design point of view, um, I find lemmings quite fascinating. Um, so based on all those little interview tidbits, what insights do you now have about Naka as a game designer and industry veteran. Uh, I think he's always been this guy that like, I don't know. It's it's weird. Like he'll have some, he'll make something that's really popular, and then he'll turn around right away and go like, I don't want to make that anymore. Uh, I feel right. like he's always been the type of guy that chases his own path, uh, and I think it's probably annoying for not only Sonic Team but also like Sega because it's like. You made a, you basically created Sega as a brand. I mean, like I, I think if Sonic the Hedgehog never existed, a lot of fans wouldn't be Sega fans today. Um, right. So to me, so it's like, why are you making Samba de Amigo and Choo Choo Rocket? Like he's always been trying to like run away from the his biggest games. I feel like so. I don't know. I think it, it, it's just him being himself. Uh, I always, and it's weird that he's. He would leave a, a, a easy situation where he had no work to work on games. Or like how he went to Square Enix to make uh, Wonder World or what's it called? I don't even know what the game is called. Balin uh, no, Wonderland? Ba- Balin Wonder World. Yeah. Wonder World. Okay. Um, yeah. Like he went to make that. He didn't have to do that. He's already in his 50s. He's close to retirement age. You know, he probably... I've seen him post pictures of him racing with his kids. Like he doesn't... He's not lacking money. But uh, right. what's your insight right. on this? Um, I, I really feel like he's the type of developer who finds a little kernel of an idea, perfects it, puts it into motion, and I would say gets lucky one time out of ten. I I don't think Sonic was a flash in the pan for him. I think Sonic was more like his big contribution to gaming that he could never really uh, match again. You know, you you see the games he creates. Um, You look at Sonic the Hedgehog, obviously. Uh, Rolling ball physics, slopes, paths. I mean, he didn't design the character. That was Naoto Oshima. But without Yuji Naka's gameplay engine and all that sort of stuff, 
you wouldn't have the success that was Sonic. And then you kind of fast forward to the Saturn and the Dreamcast era. I think he had some fantastic ideas. I think Choo Choo Rocket was great. I think Samba de Amigo was great. I think um, there were some really cool ideas in other games that he had his hands on. I even think um, Billy Hatcher is not a terrible game. I think there's some really cool ideas there. But I also think none of those ideas really matched Sonic. Um, and as time went on, I don't know if the technology moved away from him or if he just started to run out of ideas, but you get to here and it's like, let's tap. Okay. That you created Sonic, right? Okay. I mean, this is cool. Okay. What else do you got? Um, so, yeah. uh, let's talk about what else he's got because I mean, the, the reviews, before we get into that, the reviews, they were favorable for the game. Scores hovered around 70 to 80 percent. Um, Eurogamer called it one of the few worthwhile and interesting mini-game compilations in existence. And a website called N-Europe called it very original and conceptually ambitious. Um, I, I'd rate the game about 70 to 80 percent, too. I think at the time it was it did stand out from a lot of the shovelware that was out there. It was kind of refreshing to see a game from the creator of Sonic that was taking advantage of the Wii and making a little mini-game compilation. But I think for a lot of us, we thought this was the start to something big. You know, yeah. if, if Sonic started as one little game that was a huge hit and snowballed into this big franchise and Sonic Team and all that, maybe Prope would start off with this little game and then their next game would be that big Sonic-inspired platformer he was talking about. And we'd all love it. Um Unfortunately, that didn't happen. So uh, 2008 also saw the release of Let's Catch, which was a WiiWare game also published by Sega and using the Let's branding. Um, So we have a little video here. Let's check out Let's Catch. This is a gameplay video from YouTube user Nintendan. Ooh, isn't he? Oh, I think I've seen this this content before. That's why. Um, I played it. Can you hear it? It has the menu music when you start it. Yeah, I like that on this on the Wii. I thought that the menu music on the Wii was so good. Oh man, it's taking I mean, forever it was, to load. It was very basic though. Oh, so it's this game your, is if yeah. you never grew up with a dad, right? Pretty much, it's your <laughs> it's your uh, me playing with one of the characters who were playing Let's Tap. The one that I was pretending was um, going to the tap dimension, Toro mm. or whatever I, whatever fake name I gave up. But like, um, look, look at. I mean, I, I get it, they're trying to match the Wii, but this is like totally different art style than Let's Tap. Like they never got an art style down. You know what I mean? Right. But what's kind of interesting is that it's just a game of catch with a kid, but he talks to you, kind of like Seaman in the in in the oh. sense that it's just like little aside. So he's like. My dad used to work out of his house. You know, like the kids just talking about his what his dad does, what he does. So it's kind of I mean conceptually it's it's just a game of play and catch with your kid or with a kid and then he's talking about his dad and honestly I think it's kind of cool. Um I don't hate it. I I kind of reminds cool me of actually I mean I don't know if you guys seen the WiiWare games they used to release back then, but this seems a little mm-hmm. like 
you know, it's actually 3D. I remember Sega made this game. I don't know if you remember, but it looks like an NES game. And they, and they never released it in America, but it, the whole thing's about, like, a dick joke. Like, a platformer with a dick joke. I forgot what it was called. Oh, you know what I'm um, talking about? Uh, Pole's Big Adventure. Pole's Big Adventure. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, yeah, yeah. That's usually the quality that I expect from WiiWare back then. It wasn't, it wasn't the era yet where digital downloads were a big thing. So this is not the worst thing ever, no. No, and I think it's interesting, though, because, I mean, it's just a game of catch, but there's, like, this extra layer of this, like, sad story about this kid and his dad, which kind of has a Yu Suzuki flavor to it, where at GDC he would give these talks, and he's like, I had a game about, like, an old man. Remember that one? He'd talk about this, like, game where you're just, like, an old man, and there was, like, all these life... the peach tree? Yeah, yeah, and it was, Mm -hmm. like... That kind of reminds me of this, but this also kind of reminds me of Balan Wonderworld, because in that game, it's like this really bizarre platformer, but there's like this story about like a farmer whose home was destroyed by a tornado, and he's like dealing with the depression. And so there's this like weird, sad, real world story underlying it, which also kind of existed in Nights into Dreams, where it was these kids who's who couldn't really um, aspire to these things they wanted to do, like uh, singing, or I forgot what the boy did, like soccer or something like that. Oh, yeah. So um, I don't hate it. I think it's kind of interesting, but it's not something that I would consider a sequel or a follow-up to Let's Tap. No. And after that, Sega was kind of done with the pro being a pro publisher. Um there was nothing more planned. They didn't have a Let's franchise. I don't think a franchise was viable because the Wii was kind of on the way out. So unless he shifted to like a super high quality iOS franchise, he was not going to cut it. And unfortunately, following the release of Let's Tap and Let's Catch, Probe released a series of baffling iOS games with super simplistic controls and honestly really stupid gameplay. Um, this was a point where I lost a lot of respect for Yuji Naka as a developer. I realized, <sighs> I feel bad saying this. Like, I love the guy. I love his games. But, like, when you see this, it's like your favorite <laughs> hero, like, going on in. stage every night for an audience of people and, like, shitting their pants. And you're like, oh, that's what they do now? Because oh. what what he did was he would release game after game of this really weird tap-based game. Well, let's look at it. Ten Count Boxer. Ten Count It was a balancing game where you tap a boxer to make him stand up. Oh, my God. And this is... Is this you playing it? This (laughs) is a prope trailer. Oh! An official trailer. worse. It has 10,000 views. Of course. More than the same. And zero comments. Oh, of course. Box. Touch the screen to make the boxer stand. That's it? Oh my god. I feel like they were so desperate for money at this point that they were just releasing whatever, you know what I mean? Right. And let's check out the next one. Fluffy Bear. This is the one that broke me. I, I don't think I ever played these. So what's so bad about this game, Barry? Let let us know. Like, why do you hate it? <laughs> Because I'm barely This is playing 10 it. count boxer with a different skin. Yeah, but this and is a all bear you're doing this is, time. You are tapping a ragdoll 
2D character that stands on their feet. Oh my god, this is terrible. Like, look Ma- at this. Like, even as it's... Like, imagine you had a Sega Genesis game where you just tapped the B button and then made your character stand up. You would but be like, like, I just got ripped off. Basically, I... I honestly think they found that with the Let's Tap iOS games... I'm pausing this. I can't look at it anymore. I feel like with the Let's Tap game. iOS games, they found that they were actually making a decent amount of money off of these 99 cent downloads. So they're like, well, let's put out a bunch of them and see what we get. And it was just like, Probe was becoming the tap company. Every game is tapping a screen. Tap, 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 tap. Um, you can check out Probe's YouTube channel to see many more games they made, but nearly all of them have this in common. Like I said, they have one gimmick. They're cheaply made, and they look like they would be fun for maybe 30 seconds. Um, Yuji I, I... Naka's career in games... After and before Let's Tap could fill a whole show, and I think we should do a Yuji Naka show someday. I want to. I want to do like a use like a Sega All Stars, like Yu Suzuki episode, Yuji Naka episode. So I won't talk too much about some other games. Um, there is Ivy the Kiwi, yeah, which I believe was also one touch based, where you were kind of like drawing um, Ivy lines that a little Kiwi bird would dr- walk on. Do not look up the eBay prices for this. This game is selling on Wii for $80 or more. It's funny. I don't know why. It was like given away basically for like yeah. a long time. I remember seeing it Games. for like 5 bucks at Amazon, I mean at uh, GameStop. Mhm. Yeah. And yeah, and that's kind of a trend with these games. Um there was Rodea the Sky Soldier and which I have behind me here and that came out in a special edition. So I've got the Key of Time. Very cool. Here I've got the 3DS version, and I hope the game's in it. No, Which one's the one that he worked on? Because I didn't he like there's so, some yeah, controversy so, with that game. Yeah, so here's the special edition. This is selling for over a hundred bucks now on eBay. So glad I picked this up at least. Yeah, for um, sure. So inside is the uh, an art book, soundtrack CD, and then the Wii U version of the game. However. The Wii U version was not made by Yuji Naka. It was made by um, like a third, another developer, like a third party. And so you see that here. And so what they included was a Wii version of the game, which is actually the Prope game. So weird, So right? how sad. And then on top of that, they give you a reversible cover, which I think, like, I don't know if one is meant to be like the Yuji Naka version and the other one isn't. But it's just, it's so bizarre that Prope had to release a a game through. Like, what a weird publishing thing to do, you know what I mean? Like, you're like, oh, I made this game. Yeah, we're going to remake your idea with somebody else. Mm -hmm. And then release that one, but then give your version as an extra? Yeah, and Prope's name is nowhere on here. It's all NIS America. Um, I mean, even NIS America who did... um, uh, Sakura Wars, So Long My Love had the Sega logo somewhere on the box. That was a weird release too. But like here, it's so sad that the one game people kept asking about in the early days of Prope were, where's that Sonic game? Where's that Sonic-inspired game? Uh, it turns out to be one of the last games they would really release without their name anywhere on the box. And the one game they the game they did work on is a bonus disc inside the Wii U case. So it's just like... 
it's such a sad end for a, to be honest, kind of sad company. Um, I think the Wii version of Rodea is actually a, a quite a fun game, but it's just it's so relegated to, like no one's gonna find it. You know, it's I've seen I have the Criterion Godzilla uh, box set, mm. and they through some sort of like legal loophole they couldn't put the best cut of Godzilla or King Kong versus Godzilla on there unless they put it in there as a bonus feature. So nowhere on there is it advertised, but if you stick in the bonus disc, the the Japanese version of the movie just happens to be there. Perfect. And I feel like this is kind of that where they're like, "We found a loophole to include your original game Yuji Naka." And he's like, "Oh. Oh, thank cool. you." <laughs> thank and, you, sir. And- Rodina was one of those, or whatever the fucking character's name is. It Rodea, was like one of Rodea. It's one of those games mm-hmm. that was like coming out, coming out, delayed, 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 and then it just came out of nowhere, and then it was kind of like ship mm-hmm. to die kind of a game. Um, oh, absolutely. And and they would say like, oh, it's being ported to Wii U, and people are like, oh, awesome, I have a Wii U. And then like word got around that Yuji Naka didn't make the Wii U version or the 3DS version. And they were like, well, what the, What am I playing? This isn't a Yuji Naka game. And they're like, I'll play the Weaver. It's just messed up. But yeah, it's just, it's kind of sad. So, you know, um, there was Balan Wonderworld. I don't even want to talk about that. Um, but, you know, suffice to say, Prope, it fizzled out around 2015 with really the last notable projects being Street Pass Mansion and Street Pass Fishing, which they made for Nintendo which actually are quite fun street pass games. If I don't know if those are still there. I don't know what the how the uh, whole 3DS shop is working right now, but if you have them, check them out. I like Street Pass Mansion. I thought that was pretty fun. Um in January 2018, Yuji Naka joined Square Enix Ooh, and in March 2019 confirmed that Prope was not a was now a one-person company as of April 2017, which is Kind of sad. Like, that happened to Yu Suzuki at one point, where he's like, I work for YSNet. Oh, who works there? Me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Um, remember remember that, that Polygon article where they went into his office and he was, like, sitting in the chair, they said? And, like, he was yeah. showing them off their mobile game, his ideas for mobile games? I was like, yeah. not good. At the time. And then he made three or whatever, but yeah. Yeah, right, right. But, yeah, you're like, oh, cool. Well, I've heard, I saw a funny uh tweet on twitter where it was um uh game developers are never unemployed they're just working on an independent game or something like that they're like oh i'm not i'm not unemployed i'm 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 working on an indie game um naka has since been let go from square enix following the failure of balan wonderworld and is currently contemplating retirement he enjoys spending time with his sons and racing cars and i think he has I think he has a little money to burn if he's if he's racing cars. Yeah, if you have um, racing but, cars, you have money. Like that's not right. that's not something that you just have so, in poor, you know. Do you think Yuji Naka and Prope deserved better? I think Like what could have he done differently? Well, he could have done the the game everyone wanted, like a a, a character game. People just wanted a, a character game, like his old games. They wanted something like mm-hmm. Knights, which he tried to do with Balin and um, 
But I have a feeling that Sega wasn't giving him that much of a budget, so he was working with what he had. I'm assuming with Yuji mm-hmm. Naka, it's just money, time, and getting the team assembled that could fulfill his visions. Obviously, Valen didn't work out. Um, neither did any of the other games. Um, I guess it's like there's only really one developer from Sega that left. And you you, you mentioned him before, the, you know, the guy that did Luminous and all those other games. Um, mm-hmm. he's the only one that's left made companies like Q and, uh, Ma- uh Masaguchi. He's the only one that's uh, gotten Tetsuya some... Mizuguchi. Yeah. yeah. He's the only one that's gotten games that people know about after he left. Like, I can't think mm-hmm. of anyone else. Maybe you guys could tell me. I mean, Crimson Dragon came and left. Um, even Space Channel 5 VR, uh, is not really popping like i don't hear people talking about it the reviews are like 20 reviews on the the digital (laughs) store so i don't know um what he could have done better who knows man but does he deserve better i don't know man it's the industry you know no one deserves anything you kind of make what you make and that's how it ends up what is your opinion on it um i mean on one hand you it's easy to say oh he could have made good games that's what he could have done differently but that's tough you need a budget you need um a a large team you need to have a great idea and i think the problem was is that he was he was spending all this time making rodea the sky soldier but he was trying to like keep his company afloat through all of these small projects to the point where rodea was a wii game in an era of the wii u like it's just like he the 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 home console he was developing for kind of passed him by and i think he really kind of shot himself in the foot by making these publishing deals by probably selling the rights to rodea in exchange for something you know and he probably said hey can you please release the wii version as a bonus at least right um it's just it's kind of sad and but at the same time and i i have this conversation with people sometime i i hear people go like oh remember that actor who was like like okay like let's talk about jaleel white like he was urkel for like what eight years he was the voice of sonic and then like what's he doing now he's not doing that much but are you the voice of are you the voice of sonic were you urkel like that's a that's a big accomplishment or the i mean mark hamill who did luke skywalker he didn't do much acting afterwards outside of voice acting but he's he's Mark Hamill, who True. played Luke Skywalker. And I feel like Yuji Naka, if he's not going to find success developing games anymore, he should just embrace that I'm Yuji Naka, co-creator of Sonic the Hedgehog. Maybe do consulting work. Maybe knock on Saga's door and see if they want to bring him back for some sort of legacy work or just to have his name on a box again. I don't know. Um, even the Sonic movie, like... I don't know, like, give the guy a cameo. It's just like, I, I feel like he could probably be doing more with the brands that he made famous. I don't know. I remember Sonic's um, 20th anniversary, I think. Izuka got together with Naka and um, Oshima, and it was just really cool to see them all together. And I think people are kind of speculating, oh, maybe they're coming on for some, like, uh, consulting work. That would be cool, but... You know, I'm surprised that he doesn't have like original creators for Sonic don't have cameos in the movie. Kind of like how uh, Marvel, at least 
gave the tip of the hat to Stan Lee by giving him like cameos that all the fans know him, even though he hasn't really written a comic book, you know, since for like maybe forty, I don't know, thirty years. Right. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. May, I mean, maybe that's that's a direction he'll take, or he'll just spend time with his family. That's fine too. You know, it's just as a fan, I would love to have Yuji not <laughs> hang out with me, but it's not happening. Maybe, um, so yeah, maybe for an anniversary event, have him do the promo with the rest of the team. That would be a sick event. Like, especially after all this COVID thing, I don't know what's going to happen for twenty twenty two because seems like we're going backwards a little bit, but. Hopefully, mm-hmm. everything opens up and we get more events, especially for next year for Sonic Rangers or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, That'd you be wanna, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to read the Patreon comments? You said this was going to be a one-hour podcast, and it's not. <laughs> eh, it's a little over. Um, so if you support us on Patreon at any level, every time we do a Sega Talk, we reach out to the Patreon community and ask you guys to give us your memories of the game that we are covering. So on this week's show, we have Nicholas Schaefer, who says, I was so excited to see what Naka was going to do next. After leaving Sega, I expected creative games, but when they announced this, I just scratched my head. I do feel bad that I never gave this game a chance, but this wasn't at all what I was expecting. Man, what a... What a downer. No, I Hopefully don't. he sees the gameplay and he's like, wow, that visualizer, I'm going to play it. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So, you know, we, we are not done talking Yuji Naka. We'll be back. But um, on the next episode, George, do you know what we're going to be talking about? Maybe. I have to look for with uh, Patreon, but we might be talking about Dynamite Heady, which is a game we mentioned Ooh. in this episode as a game that matches Sonic and quality for the Sega Genesis. So that should mm-hmm. be a very good um, episode. And I also think it's a very underrated game. I actually played it last week with the... I don't know if you knew this, but the American version had no, no dialogue. So, like, there was a ROM out there, a ROM hack with the English storyline, you know, translated from Japan. Um, I played it oh, last nice. week. It's actually, it's actually worth it uh, trying for sure. But um, I guess we'll catch you guys next time on Sega Talk. Bye. Bye. <laughs> All right. That does it.